0: I know you guys hear the grind and i know you guys do i know you guys hear the grind episode after episode just hammering out stats and facts and analytics different personnel groupings this past episode though it killed me killed me i had to grind out snap percentages oh, all sorts of different personnel groupings it was brutal it was absolutely brutal and by the end of it Man, I was beat. I was beat. So I'm sorry for the lack of entertainment that I gave you guys if if you guys felt there was one on this past episode. But I want you guys all to know where I'm coming from and how I view things. A lot of these other podcasts, will just name an individual and talk a minute about some minute details, things that don't really matter, stuff that you would never retain. I mean, can you give me one stat that was just a random fact about, let's just say, I don't know, Devontae Parker from last year that was superior to any other player and why that matters this year? Most likely not. Sure, you can get some fun facts about why this guy is drafting the top 10, right? That's always fun. It's always fun, but not if you're really looking to apply it to your fantasy team. That's the big difference between my podcast and most of their podcasts out there. I give you the system in order to see the big picture, and then I break it down within then, and then it goes in order of my episodes and how it applies to the next episode isn't too far out, so you guys will still retain what you guys heard in previous episodes. I'm not just going to go in there and talk about, I don't know, top 10 rankings right now. Right? Why are people sitting there talking about top 10 rankings instead of talking about the situations or the systems that players are in? Why are analysts discussing if a player is two spots higher or two spots lower on their rankings with very little context instead of talking about how offensive line changes are, are affecting their team? I mean, I'm watching people do top five quarterback rankings. <laughs> what? Why are they doing that instead of talking about positional battles or coaching schemes or non-skill position players returning from injury? They're chimpanzees following King Louis not knowing why or how, just because they're getting their bananas. Let them get their bananas. Meanwhile, you can be blue and go get the honey, baby. Go get the honey. Go find that sweet spot. That's why you're listening to this podcast over any other podcast. I know, you guys already know. You guys know that I know, that you know. That by you guys listening to this podcast, you guys are understanding the value of snap percentages, plays per game, offensive line, musical chairs, impacts of play calling, A dots, contested catch percentages, targets, and how to build a roster in the proper order, how to draft in tiers. You guys are going to be the ones that are winning your leagues because you understand the difference between just nonsense going through a podcast and the value. When it comes to moves inside the organization, outside the organization, and momentum created from previous years, you guys are going to be the ones that are going to win your leagues. And honestly, it, it really just makes me laugh. Because I'm sitting here on Twitter, I'm sitting here just, you know, looking through other companies and what they're doing with their, their fantasy stuff, just seeing what they're talking about, clicking on articles, you know, just seeing what's trending, right? And it's like, how many people right now are talking about pounding away a draft and two running backs early, right? But they're not talking about the correct running backs to pair up. For example, why in a dynasty league would you pair up Swift and Gurley in a startup dynasty draft? Why would you do that? Why would you pair up J.K. Dobbins and Dalvin Cook? If you listen to this podcast, I know that you guys already know the answer. It's projected life expectancy and a bell curve of production. In a draft that just happened, it just happened. that I was in, we did a dynasty draft, tight end premium, whatever. This guy took Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, David Johnson, and Mark Ingram as his first three running backs and took A.J. Brown, Ceedee Lamb, and Jerry Judy as his wide receiver. Why would you do that? And I know my regular listeners right now are shaking their head because I know that they know the answer, especially the guys on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fantasyintervention. Get in touch with me. Go join our circle. It's two bucks a month. That's it. And I'll get back to that in a second. But when you have Josh Jacobs, you have David Johnson and Mark Ingram, right? David Johnson and Mark Ingram are past their, their prime position. They're past their apex. When you have A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, and Jerry Judy, they still need years to develop. It takes, on average, about three years. Three years for a wide receiver to have their breakout campaign. Either way, Mark Ingram, there's a good chance that he's not the primary running back in his roster by the time CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy are ready to break out. And David Johnson might even be out of the league by that point because he's so, so beat up. That makes no sense. You take your running backs and act like you're going to win now, but then you don't draft the wide receivers necessary in order to back that up. You're wasting prime draft capital on Mark Ingram and David Johnson. If you went the route of Josh Jacobs, David Johnson, and Mark Ingram, then instead of taking a guy like, I don't know, A.J. Brown, you would take a guy like Allen Robinson, who's in a prime position to produce. Instead of Jerry Judy, you take D.J. Chark, who's in a prime position to produce. When you draft in, in Dynasty Leagues, you need to make sure that all of your guys are on the same page when it comes to lifetime of projected points. When are these players going to accrue points, and when are certain players going to fall off? Now, if his plan was to lose this year, trade away Mark Ingram, trade away David Johnson for future picks, then we're talking about a whole different animal. But then he goes off and he drafts Matt Ryan and Tom Brady. He doesn't have backup receivers. His only receiver on his entire team, his entire team that could produce this year at a high-end level is Marvin Jones Jr. That's it. He took Justin Jefferson. He took Don Peoples-Jones. He took all these rookies at wide receiver, not realizing that wide receivers don't produce in their rookie year in most case scenarios. That is extremely volatile at best, at best. But he would have known that if he would have listened to this podcast and if he would have joined Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. It's literally two bucks a month, guys. It's two bucks a month. Yeah, 50 cents a week. Go join our circle. You'll get so much value from it. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. I'm telling you guys. And I'm also, I'm contemplating doing a service for everybody out there. If you guys want in on this, then message me on Facebook or message me on Patreon just just get a hold of me, Fantasy Intervention. I'm thinking about thinking that for a fee, if you guys would like me to, I will break down your league, completely break down your league, do an hour-long podcast, and tell each team where they should make moves in order to better their team, which teams I see that could win this year, which teams that I see need to rebuild, where the roster clogs are, trades that should be made between the two teams. I'm talking about a full-on just breakdown breakdown where I will blow your minds about the league and which direction each team should go along with winners and losers and which guys are actually succeeding, which guys are failing, whatever you guys want me to cover. I will cover it for you. So just get in touch with me, Facebook fantasy intervention, Twitter, FF underscore intervention. Yeah. Go follow me on there too. Take two seconds. Go follow me on Twitter. FF underscore intervention. I get some great stats up there. Stuff that I don't even share on the podcast. It's just for Twitter. Go follow me on Twitter, FF underscore intervention. Get in touch with me if you guys would like to see your leagues broken down and your teams broken down. I'd actually love to do that. It could be a lot, a lot of fun, to be honest with you. Now, since we've been grinding so much, I wanted to do a fun segment, a fun episode to lighten the mood a little bit. All right. I wanted to get my brain a rest because I just started writing for a company. So my head is just filled up with all sorts of stuff. And and I was honestly just getting not burnt out, but just to a point where I feel like I wasn't communicating. My mind was so full. I wanted to woosah, I wanted to release, woosah, woosah. And you guys have heard me grind, so I'm gonna come out with a new segment for this bar-themed podcast and run with it. I'm gonna call it, you're gonna need a shot for this one. All right? You're going to need a shot for this one. It's going to be hot takes that very few people aren't really onto yet, but could take off by the time the season starts. So I'm going to try and get you guys ahead of the curve when it comes to the rest of your league. And it was supposed to be fun. It was supposed to be a lot of fun. It was supposed to be a blast Till I got to this last one where I stayed up till midnight last night trying to do the research. Twelve freaking hours on this one episode. Twelve. Twelve! Kill me now. But it was fun. It was fun for me. I'm not going to lie. Enough explaining. I'll start out with an easy one since y'all know me. And know that I love some Andy Isabella. Right? My first, you're going to need a shot for this one, prediction, is that Andy Isabella will outproduce Larry Fitzgerald by a significant margin this year. Ooh, let that one sink in. Andy Isabella will outproduce Larry Fitzgerald by a significant margin. Will you Let that one sink in. I'm going to take a sip of water. Ah, good. All right. So... Andy Isabella, he's obviously a burner. He's one of the fastest products at the combine at four three one. He's one of the most dominant production-wise while at school. This kid is just straight fire. I love Andy Isabella. Love him. Y'all don't got to tell me, y'all don't got to tell me that, oh, you normally hate the burners. You hate those fast guys, right? Like, like Henry Ruggs. It's not that I hate Henry Ruggs. I just don't want that volatility as a starting wide receiver on my team. You don't got to tell me, I do the show, I know who I like and who I don't like. I know, I know, You, you don't have to tell me. The difference was with this kid, was his production level in college along with his speed. I went back 10 years and only found one guy with comparable speed and his level of production in college. One guy, Brandon Cooks. Now, Brandon Cooks didn't see the dominant target share that Isabella saw. And the crazy part about Isabella was even with that dominant target share, the majority of his passes were deep targets. He didn't have that that wide receiver friendly system that Brandon Cooks had. They were all deep targets. Or the majority of them were. That's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that his efficiency was still through the roof. He still had that level of production and saw deep targets constantly. He's still at a solid catch percentage for just seeing deep targets. Now, looking at this and comparing it to his professional career, this is the perf- perfect system to have Andy Isabella in. He's going to see single coverage. Mono y mono, baby. And if Cliff Kingsbury is smart, he's going to draw it up to where Isabella gets lined up with the slower corners. Maybe even safeties. At least that's my hope. That's my hope. Cliff's smart, right? He's a smart guy. He wants to run that air raid offense. It only makes sense that he would draw up plays for this, having an offseason to digest this information. I'm just saying. I think that Isabella could end up having a bigger year than what people expect, especially while still having DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk on the field. DeAndre Hopkins is going to garner attention, potentially bracket coverage. It's going to pull the safeties off. I love it. I think that Isabella could end up having some monstrous, monstrous games. We just have to figure out which ones they are, which I normally do. The biggest thing, though, isn't Andy Isabella. It's Larry Fitzgerald. He's slowly declining in efficiency, and it's having a direct effect to his on-field production. Don't get me wrong. I think that he can definitely still be an impact player for the Cardinals, but when it comes to fantasy football, he's out. I want to say that he's slowly been falling off the cliff, but really over the past two years, it's just been brutal. In 2017, he ranked as a wide receiver four. In 2018, he ranked as a wide receiver 25. Last year, he was the wide receiver 35. They still love him in Arizona. He's still going to get snaps. But not only has he had a drop in contested catch rate, he's also seen a drop in yards of separation per target. That means that he's gonna see more contested catches and he's actually going to end up seeing more drops. And then boom, we turn around, we go to look at the stats, and there it is. Larry Fitzgerald has two drops. Two drops this year! Larry Fitzgerald doesn't drop the ball. But when you essentially have contested targets, you end up dropping the ball more often. Larry Fitzgerald was so good at getting open finding his open spots in the zone, and then when he was in man coverage, shaking his guy off. Didn't hurt that he had over, what, 10-inch hands? Those things were massive, like, just giant oven mitts, just ready to snuggle up with the ball, just having sticky stuff on it. We're not going to get into that right now. No, we're not going to get into that. But, I mean, really, like, Larry Fitzgerald, (laughs) we've seen multiple seasons where he has more tackles from tackling guys off an interception than he did drops. That's crazy to me, right? He just didn't drop the ball. But with him declining, with his athleticism declining, (laughs) we're going to see that happen. And honestly, I feel like this could be his final year in the league. Maybe he goes out with a bang. But looking at the other greats of the wide receiver position, it's not really what happens. It's not usually pretty. It's not pretty in those final, final seasons. So we sit there and we look at an influx of youth. At the Arizona position, we see the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, who, he loves the slot, man. Move him to the slot, and he's going to dominate that slot receiver. And you already have a reduced snap share for Larry Fitzgerald of 84%. His target rate dropped down to 20.6%. We're going to see a lot of that stuff plummet even more. But... Jumping back over to Andy Isabella before we go on our next topic. Prior to week nine, Andy Isabella saw just eight routes run. That's it. Prior to week nine, just eight routes. And that was really only in two games. From week nine and beyond, he ran routes in every single one of those contests, six games worth, for a grand total of 53 routes. I think that there are weeks that we could see him go boom. There are also certain weeks that we could see him bust. But either way, he's going to get far more opportunity this upcoming year than what he had last year. And I'm excited. I'm excited for Andy Isabella. Now, my next prediction. Do I really need to get into this one? Do I really need to? God, I guess I do. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to hate myself for saying it, but I'm going to say it because I've talked about it in previous weeks. DeAndre Swift will lead all rookie running backs in production. Overall production, baby. DeAndre Swift. Yes. Whew. Yeah. Love me some DeAndre Swift this year. He obviously has some threats, though. He has some threats to his overall production, when it comes to other rookie running backs, at least. Not when it comes to Kerryon Johnson. Yeah, CEH is actually the biggest threat. But you guys know I don't like CEH because he lacks breakaway speed. He cannot beat defenders, linebackers to the edge. He couldn't do it in college. He's not going to be able to do it in the pros. They still have Damian Williams in a timeshare. They're going to end up playing the hot hand. And I know, I get it, that CEH is going to rack up catches. He's going to. I know that. But Swift has the opportunity to do that as well. He's a superior pass blocker when it comes to the running back position to carry on Johnson and honestly I see a good shot at him actually seizing the starting role over carry on Johnson because I don't know if carry on Johnson is actually any good plus he gets injured all the time so if carry on gets hurt you're going to see Swift seize that that starting running back role as a whole plus they rebuilt the offensive line. I mean, I could literally go into detail after detail, but I constantly, constantly hit on this guy being one of my favorite rookies. So if you guys really want to hear the breakdown, if you guys really want to hear the analysis on DeAndre Swift, go into the Titans Shall Pass. It was back a few episodes ago. Go listen to that. The Titans Shall Pass episode, and I break down everything that Carryon Johnson has when it comes to tools and becoming one of the top fantasy options at the running back position. But either way, we talk about Jonathan Taylor having to share workloads with Marlon Mack. And I do think that Jonathan Taylor is better, but Marlon Mack's still a solid overall running back. He's still going to demand some sort of the workload. You still have Naeem Hines there to catch passes. And then, of course, with J.K. Dobbins, you have Mark Ingram there, who the whole entire team loves, supports, and embraces. So at best, J.K. Dobbins is going to see, what, a 40% touch share at best? The rookie running back with the best chance to produce this year. And my candidate for running back rookie of the year is DeAndre Swift. I think he's going to run away with it. Pun completely attended. Yeah, completely intended. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Well, maybe not boys and girls. It's time to break out the rumplements. Oh, yeah, because we're making rumpletinis, baby. Rumpletinis. You want to know how to make a rumpletini? You break out a bottle of rumplements. So you grab a martini glass, and you pour three to four ounces worth of frozen ice-cold rumplements in your martini glass, and you sip it. You sip it right off the top. It's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Meanwhile, you're going to be really, really fucked up. Yeah, you're going to be really messed up. And you're going to need it for this next take. So go ahead and break it out, because this one might be the hottest one of them all. You're going to need to cool down with some ice-cold rumplements. Yes! Mostert will be a top 12 back this year. Oh, yeah, I said it. I said it. This one's going to be hot. It's going to be so hot. Listen, from what I've seen, the 49ers are working out a contract with Mostert, and there's a likely, very, very likely possibility that he'll get his prior to Kittle actually getting a contract, which is moderately surprising. But either way, they like Mostert. Mostert's been bouncing around, wasn't really productive in college, wasn't productive in the pros up until this past year. And boom, he has a breakout. It's pretty, pretty nuts. So I'm expecting to lock Mostert in on a three, maybe four-year contract. And I think that it's going to be very incentive heavy. I think Mostert's going to go, have to go have to earn his contract. I don't see a whole lot of guarantees coming up because they have multiple running backs on that roster already. It's going to look like a big contract, but I don't think it's actually going to be one unless he goes out there and has another big year. You got and Coleman out there. You've got McKinnon out there. You've got Jeff, Jeff Wilson Jr., excuse me. Ahmed, who they added after the rookie draft. I mean, you have other players there that can take away touches. So, yeah, I think that is going to have to have a bad-ass year, and I think he's going to be motivated to do, to do so. Now, I'm not really overly concerned about his loss of passing down work to McKinnon or Coleman this upcoming year, primarily because over the stretch where he finished as an RB10 from weeks 13 to 17 – He saw under two targets per game, so he didn't really have any passing down work already. I am slightly concerned, however, for his touchdown rate and his touches because he was overly, overly efficient last year. I mean, through the roof efficient. He scored eight times in six games with only three red zone touches coming inside the five yard line, three red zone touches inside the five. That's crazy to me. I know this offense is extremely efficient as a whole, very similar to how the Titans operate. But even so, if we extrapolate his fantasy points to 16 games and regress it 25% after extrapolated, and let's just say that he still remains only getting 60% of the snaps, which is what he averaged last year in that time period from week 13 to week 17, he'll still finish up in the top 15 running backs. And I'm taking the over. I am taking the over on that and crossing my fingers that he does not get hurt. The reality is is I have no reason to believe the scheme will change or that he will digress. He's far and away the best running back on that roster. On top of that, I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan has a pretty sour taste in his mouth when it came to that Super Bowl. But when it comes to sweet taste, man, Mostert was tasting pretty damn good throughout those entire playoffs. That's right. I said that Shanahan was tasting Mostert. <laughs> Take it out, you will. I mean, I'm not saying that Mostert was in Kyle Shanahan's mouth or anything. That's, that's you saying that, not me. I didn't say it was in his mouth. You said that. Anyways. Listen, I say the best part for last because the playoffs, yes, he crushed it. But the playoff run that they made was insane. We already talked about it earlier from weeks 13 through 17. But four out of the final five games that he crushed were against teams that were in the top half of the league when it came to defenses versus the running back. Hell, three of those teams right here, I'm looking at it right now, three of those teams were top 10. Included Baltimore and the Saints, who he put up over 23 points against each Each one of those games he put up over 23 points against. That's crazy to me. Now imagine if they got him high-value touches like receptions and red zone work. Just imagine, 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 imagine. Imagine if they gave him high-value touches because he was not seeing that last year. Right now, he's going as the 29th running back, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. 29th! 29th running back! Are you kidding me? That's crazy to me. Now, I do want you to keep in mind, if you guys are in Dynasty, he is 28 years old. He's never had a successful season as a running back in the NFL, or in college, really. This was his first year that he had a great season, and he didn't break out until the latter part of it. So he might be a buy now, sell after the first few games. But I still really like him for the season. So if you're looking to make a championship run, I'm saying go out and buy Mostert. Go and buy Mostert. Here we go again. Open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> I know I'm going to piss some people off with this one. Let's start up with this. The Cowboys want for CD Lamb to succeed. That's what I'm going to start with. They want him to succeed. If he fails, that first round draft capital and the number 88 jersey will be tarnished forever. It'll be a bigger hit on Jerry Jones' ego than a contract would that they can essentially wipe after 2021. And that's me talking about Amari Cooper. I think that CeeDee Lamb will finish with more fantasy points this year than Amari Cooper will, but less than Gallup will. It's crazy, right? It's so backwards. So backwards. Yeah, go take a shot, because I'm saying that it's going to be Gallup, then it's going to be CeeDee Lamb, then it's going to be Amari Cooper when it comes to fantasy production. Let's start out, and let's talk about CeeDee Lamb and his film. Let's talk about his game film. Even when the Sooners did not line him up into the slot initially, they typically motioned him there. It allowed him to find gaps and mismatches, allowed him to, to take carries as well, jet sweeps constantly. He was crushing teams with jet sweeps along with play-action fakes. But lining up the slot, like I said, allowed him to find mismatches over the middle of the field and get yards after the catch. He was up against a slower corner or a safety or a linebacker. That allowed him to break tackles by being too quick for linebackers and safeties to cover. While facing up against the nickel corner, of the slot cornerback. He was able to break their tackles physically because he is an imposing physical freak. He's a physical freak, I'm telling you. Obviously, the Cowboys lost Randall Cobb this past year, and that opened up a huge opportunity share. Now, according to an article that I read on ESPN, per source on ESPN, all three wide receivers last year scored inside the top 31 receivers in fantasy while playing full games together. So as long as them play as long as they played the entire game they scored inside the top 31 in fantasy overall season long wise There's plenty plenty of opportunity for all three of these guys to get points and we saw it multiple different times last year Well uh well if he's going to take Randall Cobb's role then why the hell why why is he going to score more points than Amari Cooper that makes no sense right it doesn't make any sense cuz that don't make any sense Come on guys Listen, what's your point? Randall Cobb ran 404 passing routes, while Amari Cooper ran 458. Amari Cooper might have played way more snaps than Randall Cobb, but he didn't significantly outpace him in targets. And don't forget, that's for a guy that they signed for one year, and then they let walk. Imagine what a rookie is going to see that Jerry Jones, by the way, wanted to be his pet, right? He wanted him to be his pet. We already said that Jerry Jones gave Lamb number 88 to wear. On top of that, McCarthy loves his three wide receiver sets. He loves them. Can you ever name a time when he used two tight ends or two running backs? Not really. Not really. He loves his three wide receiver sets. I think we're going to see a whole, whole lot of CeeDee Lamb on the field this year. But I need to get to my primary point as to why it's Gallup, then Lamb, then Cooper. And I don't love rookie wide receivers. You guys already know that. I've talked about it constantly. I'm not predicting Lamb is going to go put up 1,500 yards. But I want you guys to take a look at their schedule. I want you to take a look at their schedule and think about matchups. The Rams with Jalen Ramsey. The Seahawks with either Quinton Dunbar, who shut down Amari Cooper while playing with the Redskins. Or he's going to have to face Shaquille Griffin. The Browns with Denzel Ward. The Cardinals with Patrick Peterson, the Eagles with Darius Slay, the Steelers with Joe Hayden, who, by the way, just had one of his best career years ever at the age of 30 after the Browns just dumped him. The Ravens uh, pick your poison. I'm going to guess Marcus probably Peters here. I'm guessing the Bengals who just signed both Xavier Rhodes and Alexander McKenzie or Mackenzie Alexander, excuse me, Mackenzie Alexander, who, by the way, just shut down Amari Cooper last year. Then you have the 49ers, Richard Sherman, the Eagles with Darius Slay once more. I mean, I didn't even mention the Falcons, who drafted rookie A.J. Terrell in the first round. That's not really the important part, though. It's not the fact of, you know, A.J. Terrell shutting down Amari Cooper, because I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. But Gallup gets to face off against Sheffield who ranked 13 worst out of 92 eligible cornerbacks last year. Galb's going to have a field day. They're not going to need Amari Cooper. Throw that in with Cooper encountering the injury report four separate times last year. Listen, he didn't miss time, but that's still not a good situation. Four separate injuries last year, and we saw. We saw what it did to him. Listen, Galb's still going to have the big playability. And not, mere, not near not as many tough matchups as what Amari Cooper saw. He's still going to get arguably five or six matchups that could be tough ones. But assuming that CeeDee does play the slot, his tough, toughest matchups for CeeDee Lamb are the Ravens and the Steelers. Pretty much a free ride outside of that. So Gallup's going to have field days with deep targets and touchdowns constantly. And we have CeeDee Lamb who's going to have a walk in the park. While Amari Cooper sees the gauntlet, Jerry Jones is going to make sure that his guy eats. And I think McCarthy is actually going to be on board with this, considering he's never had a first round wide receiver. Hell, he's only had four wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds. We've got Jordy Nelson was a second round pick in 2008. That was his first year as McCarthy being the head coach. Oh, yeah. Then we have Randall Cobb, second round in 2011. Devontae Adams, second round in 2014. Ty Montgomery in the third in 2015. I'm just saying, Mike McCarthy is going to have a field day himself calling place for this offense, and I think a lot of them, a lot of them are going to involve getting CeeDee Lamb the ball underneath. PPR, Lamb is going to eat. How'd you guys like that one? God, I know I pissed off some Cowboys fans. Actually, Cowboys fans would probably be excited because don't forget, Amari Cooper has a fake contract. He can get cut after 2021. They can save a ton of money and try to rebuild that defense again. Meanwhile, CeeDee Lamb will be walking into his prime. Michael Gallup will be walking into his prime also on a new contract. Then keep this offense intact. I think it's a great situation for the Cowboys and I think it'd be smart for them to feed uh, CeeDee Lamb over and over and over again. Now, are you guys ready for my last one? This is the one you guys have been waiting for. This is the one that kept me up all night doing my research for. Oh my god, it drove me nuts. It drove me nuts. And honestly, I just can't wait to piss off, to piss off this fan club. This player fan club. But before I do, let's go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash fantasyintervention. Join our circle, guys. It's two bucks a month. You guys get all sorts of content. It's exciting. Go follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash fantasyintervention. Follow us on Twitter, FF underscore intervention. Oh, yeah. Get excited. Huge shout out to Fantasy Football Discussion. Love you guys. And if you want to listen to us on any other platforms, we're available on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and CastBox. Get excited for that. Go hit subscribe. Give us a review. It just takes a few seconds. we will show your appreciation for the show. show. Show your support. Keep me moving. Keep me grinding for you guys. Just go take a few seconds and leave us a review. Come on, guys. Do it. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to rumble with the final one? Glasses up, guys. Glasses up. Cheers. We're going to be taking this last shot to my final prediction, my final, I guess, hot take. And that's going to be, we're going to see significant, significant regression from Devonte Adams. Great first. Need to, need to figure something out because this doesn't make any sense to me. You have 6'3", Geronimo Allison, with only a 127 red zone target share. You have 6'3", 225-pound Alan Lazard, with only a 74 red zone target share. You have a 6'4", Marquez Valdez Scantling, with a 5.2% target share. You have a 6'5", Jay Kumro, with a 3.9% red zone target share. What's happening here? That's only 29% of the red zone target share going to these massive human beings. What is happening? What's going on here? doesn't make any sense. All right, so I figured it out. It's got to be Jimmy Graham. Oh, not, not Jimmy Graham? Wait, not Jimmy. He didn't have a significant red zone target. This doesn't make any sense. My mind is getting blown. There's no way. Devontae Adams, who's 6'1", 212 pounds, had this big of a red zone target. Shit, shit. Oh, wow. 39.7 red zone target share for Devontae Adams. That's insane. There's no way he's consistent. There's no way that he does this year after year, right? Boom, just got hit with a Mack truck. I'm shocked right now. 2018, 44.3% red zone target share. God, I'm sitting here. SMH, bro. SMH. Listen, I get it. He has Aaron Rodgers. Right? Aaron Rodgers' most trusted receiver is Devontae Adams. But come on, man. I got to figure this out, right? This thing blew my mind. So I started, started with Aaron Rodgers. Right? I need to figure out how many times he's throwing in the red zone. And of course, okay, that makes sense. He's number four in attempted passes inside the red zone. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I get it. His offense probably wasn't very efficient in the red zone, right? They probably had a bunch of big plays, put up points. They weren't efficient in the red zone because inefficient teams pass a lot in the red zone. I mean, look at Matt Ryan, right? Matt Ryan was second ranked overall in attempts inside the red zone, but his team ranked 25th in converted touchdowns for red zone trips. So... Yeah, I'm sure the Green Bay Packers weren't efficient. And then I got hit over the side of the head again. My mind blown again. Because Green Bay was up there. They were like fourth in conversion rate for red zone trips. I'm like, what is going on here? Right? How is Aaron Rodgers doing this? How, many, how is he passing so many times but still, still scoring on a high rate basis? Did he have short a dot? Was it designed screen to Adams? Was it inaccurate targets on first and second down with a high rate of third down completions? I, it, I was sitting there literally driving me nuts. Hell, maybe they got to third down and Aaron Rodgers was able to draw players offside at an ungodly rate because I know that he does that. And this is what I figured out. Aaron Rodgers did complete 16 of his 25 targets for a whopping 64% to Devontae Adams inside the red zone. Meanwhile, his overall completion percentage in the red zone was 60%. So obviously he felt more safe going to his top-end receiver, which makes sense. However, that means that Aaron Rodgers was extremely, extremely inaccurate with his red zone attempts, causing them to definitely be in some third-down conversion areas. However, they did convert in the red zone. And although Devontae Adams came up with 16 receptions inside the red zone, he only scored five times on the entire year. That's absolutely brutal. That's 37th among wide receivers. Yeah, crazy. Meanwhile, last year, he was actually number two in touchdowns, seeing 13 total touchdowns, while also only seeing 16 red zone receptions. So he just wasn't able to convert this past year. Now that puts you back into question about whether you think that Devontae Adams is going to revert back to his 2018 form and convert those touchdowns, or is the trend gonna continue? And my money is on the trend continuing of him seeing less red zone opportunities and Aaron Rodgers having more years, more time with his other receivers in order to convert some of those touchdown receptions that he left on the field by not passing to his bigger and more ideal red zone targets. I mean, these guys were built for the red zone. I think that Aaron Rodgers takes a step back. They take the ball out of his hands a little more. They use a little more play-action fake. And although you would sit there and think that that would actually ruin his fantasy points, I think that he could see a huge spike in touchdown passes. I really do. I know that he had a couple lucky ones with Aaron Jones, where the Aaron Jones took it to the house for what, 75 yards or 50 yards? He still might have a couple of those. Aaron Jones didn't go anywhere. But his red zone efficiency, from the way that the Titans run their offense and from the way that LaFleur ran his offense this year, I think we could see a spike in efficiency while seeing less attempts, which hurts Devontae Adams tremendously, tremendously, while helping Aaron Rodgers. Thank you guys for listening once again, and thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. I'm out.